Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with co-host, Devin Dito. We are continuing our HBCU Awareness Series in recognition of March's HBCU Awareness Month and bringing you Hampton University and their president, Dr. William Harvey. So sit back and listen well as we talk to you about the state of HBCUs. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with co-host, Devin Dito. Today, we are continuing our HBCU Awareness Series, and we're bringing you Hampton University and President Dr. William R. Harvey. So let's start off by giving some background about Dr. Harvey. Dr. Harvey is president of Hampton University and 100% owner of the Pepsi-Cola Bottling Company of Houghton, Michigan. Since 1978, he has served the distinction as president of Hampton University and created a monumental legacy during his 42-year tenure, which is one of the longest tenures of any sitting president of a college or university in the country. Dr. Harvey served three years on active duty with the United States Army and currently is a lieutenant colonel in the, U- in the U.S. Army Reserve. Dr. Harvey earned his doctorate in college administration from Harvard University in 1972. Not to let everybody know how old he is, but uh, <laughs> prior to assuming his current position as president, Dr. Harvey served as assistant for governmental affairs to the Dean of Graduate School of Education at Harvard University, administrative assistant to the president at Fisk University, and as administrative vice president at Tuskegee University, and we've talked to two of those. His commitment to expansion and innovation in academic programs has resulted in 92 new academic programs being implemented under his watch. Dr. Harvey has been long active on the national scene as a result of his appointments to national boards by six presidents of the United States. Lastly, along with his students as president of Hampton, Dr. Harvey serves on and has served on numerous corporate board of directors. So viewers, as you can tell, you know, we've got another spectacular guest, someone who uh, is an example of excellence, someone who is leading our HBCUs. Dr. Harvey, we're ecstatic and thrilled to have you joining us today. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, and uh, I thank you, and I thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. Yeah, I mean, it's Dr. Harvest. It's no uh, no stretch to say you're quite an accomplished individual. Um, you know, honored to have someone of your talent and intellect on the show because we've seen uh, throughout our HBCU presidents, y'all are bright individuals, and you know, we you know, as we talked about your bio, you know, you're, you've led the helm of Hampton University for over forty years. And, and one of the things that I kind of gathered throughout the website is that your vision and your determination have kind of been like the lifeblood of the university for a long time. And everyone that, you know, that, that talks about you say that you're like a beacon and a mentor to anybody that interacts with you. Um, your motto, you know, dream no small dream, which I believe is a motto that should be throughout our entire HBCU uh, community speaks volumes. So our first question to you, Dr. Harvey, Explain what that motto has looked like over your 42 years at Hampton and take it further and tell us what can we do to get that message to resonate within our community as a whole, especially when you consider a lot of African-Americans aren't attending HBCUs. Well, first of all, let me say that um, I believe very strongly in the whole concept of team. We have done really well here at Hampton. But I also say that uh, collective competence is better than individual competence any day. I don't care how smart, how anything, any one man or woman may be, 
collective competence is better. So uh, part of my model is to make sure that the team is the dream. I am the team leader and I'm a tough team leader. But the fact is that putting together, we have done the kinds of things that you have talked about, the 92 new degree graduate programs. We have the world's largest proton beam cancer treatment center where we are uh, treating prostate, breast, lung, ocular, uh, head, neck, and brain cancers. We've got the four satellites that are flying right now as you and I are speaking. We have the, a large antenna that can, then that, that can detect storms and hurricanes, tornadoes up to 2,000 miles from here. Nobody else in this region has that. The major schools, the majority schools, or any school. And I like to dream no small dreams. That's what I was taught in little old Bruton, Alabama, that if you work hard and you include others in as, as a part of your team, there isn't anything that you can't accomplish. Yes, there uh, was racism. Yes, there is. But that's an excuse if you let that keep you down. What you got to do is to just uh, keep on pushing. And that's what we have done. You know, uh, uh, I've had 17 of my vice presidents become presidents of other institutions. That gives you an idea of the kind of team that we have had and the emphasis on the... Um, on teamwork. I'm also a, a very conservative as it relates to finances. When I became president here at Hampton, we had not balanced our budget in a couple of decades. Well, fortunately, with the help of uh, faculty and, and others, the team, we have balanced our budget every single year. Our endowment was $29 million when I became president. It's now a little over $340 million. It could have been more than that, but we used some of the money to build new buildings. We've built 30 new buildings since we've been here, and I stress the we. So uh, the fact that I believe so strongly in the team, and the team approach has produced the outstanding re results that, uh, that, that we have here. The other thing that I look for and that I insist upon is that members of my team have to understand how, Im how, uh, how important uh, uh, management is, you know, this is an educational institution, but the fact is that we need good managers in our deans, in our vice presidents, and in others, and I insist on that, and things have worked out exceedingly well. I'll end this little soliloquy by simply saying that, reiterating, the team is the dream. You know, David, before you say your question, the only thing I wanted to say is that I really hope that viewers pick up on that team mentality because one thing that Dev and I have talked about is how within our own community, we often try to pull each other down rather than work together and, and, and you know, kind of propel each other forward. So viewers, please, please take, you know, heed to Dr. Harvey's, you know, message and that because that's how he's been able to build that dream is by having a team and that's how we can prepare, you know, repair our community. My bad, Devin, just wanted to highlight <laughs> that part. <laughs> no, that, that's that's a great point. And, and we've heard, too, talking to other presidents, how just even within the presidents of HBCUs, it's more of a team mentality. We're mentoring, we're teaching, 
learning new things from each school. And so that's, that's really, you know, awesome to hear that that is the, the motto down at, um, at up at Hampton University. And one of the things, you know, we wanted to, we've heard too, is that the story of HBCUs needs to be told much more. It needs to be told far and wide. And some people, um, you know, may look at HBCUs in 2021, and may wonder, you know, why they exist and why we, you know, we still need them, you know, because they did start off as institutions primarily for teaching um, African-American students. And so, you know, we, we talked about during the early part of your career, you made, you know, some stops at, at HBCUs like Fisk University and, and Tuskegee. And so our question is just, you know, when you were younger, you know, kind of going through, going up the ranks and going through your young career, you know, what was your perception when it came to the value and the importance of HBCUs? And, and what would you say to those folks who may look around and say, well, why do we still need, you know, historically black colleges and universities in 2021? Well, let me say that I think that's a, such a salient question because so many folk, black and white, think that HBCUs only exist to educate low-income and first-generation students. That's not correct. We do that, but that's not our sole mission. And if you look around, and, and, and you know, I, I know Hampton intimately, but if you, 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 you look around, uh, those institutions that have schools of pharmacy, like Xavier, institutions like Howard and Harry and Morehouse with medical schools and law schools, Tuskegee with veterinary medicine schools uh, with, uh, that offer PhDs and, and pharmacy, Hampton offers that as well. So the fact is that even though we are sensitive to um, African-Americans and others, Hampton has about 20% other um, enrollment. Uh, I always hope that Hampton will remain an HBCU. So 20% other, 80%. But the fact is that uh, we teach life skills. Hampton University was founded by General Samuel Chapman Armstrong, and he founded this school to you know, provide education for recently freed slaves. And in an address to the students in August, of 1868, he said that there are two things that I want at my institution. One, he said a top flight education program. And in Hampton, today, that would be be called workforce development. It wasn't teacher training, it was workforce development. And secondly, he said uh, the development of character. And he thirdly said, and of the two, the development of character is more important than the other. Now, as a 12th president, I think the very same thing, because when you talk about um, uh, life skills, think about what character means, what it meant to him and what it means to me. It means honesty, integrity, respect, trustworthiness, uh, responsible personal behavior, other life skills, such as perseverance, civility. Uh, loyalty, things like that. That's the quality difference in a place like Hampton that you're not going to get at some some of our majority institutions, along with biology and chemistry and pharmacy and psychology uh, and business and so forth. So I think that that's kind of a a misnomer when people think that our only uh, raison d'etre is to take care of uh, low-income folk and first-generation folk. No, that's not it. We have, from the very beginning of schools like Hampton, 
we've been doing things that we continue to do today. Now, we don't have workforce development uh, as a curriculum now. You know, we've got uh, 12 PhD programs now. We've got 29 masters and so forth. But the fact is that black schools all over the country, and I named just a few, but there are others that are doing such great work that I think that uh, when you add to that, certainly at a place like Hampton, because I can speak for Hampton, we are talking about becoming a, a outstanding man and woman. And that's the kind of thing that General Armstrong talked about, and that's the kind of thing that I talk about, and that's the kind of thing that I um, talk to and coach my folk who are my vice presidents and deans and others who have gone on to other institutions. No, and that message there is, is one that needs to be heard as far as why um, HBCUs came about, but also why they are still important um, here in 2021. Everything you just named as far as trustworthiness and those, those building, you know, a, a, a man and a, a woman who are going to go on to be great, you know, productive citizens in this country is something that's not, not ever going to be not needed. You know, we're always going to need institutions that are going to cater to students who, um, you know, like you say, you don't just cater to just first generation or low income. Anybody can go to a Hampton University or a Fisk or, or a Claflin and do great things and be able to, to get to the highest tier of their careers. Um, we've heard a lot from. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and the fact is that even if you're from a low income or first generation, you can go on to greatness. That's the point. That's the point. You know, even if I look at Hampton right now, you know, we had Ruth Carter won an, anime, uh, an Oscar last year. A Hampton graduate has just been named president of uh, MSNBC. I mean, I, I could just go right down the list of people, and everybody didn't come here with a silver spoon in their mouth. What they came here with is an opportunity to excel. And that's what we push. And that's what we're going to continue to push. You're right. You're exactly you're exactly right. And so that message, take that with you uh, into the break. And we're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, we're going to kind of shift a little bit. You know, we, we talked about, you know, what you're doing down at Hampton, which you're, you're really, you know, what's pushing you all every every single day that you go out and do your job. But we also know that society has its own perception and views of HBCU. So we want to discuss that a little bit. Um, so we're going to take our very first break and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, viewers. So we are continuing our conversation with Dr. William Harvey, president of Hampton University. And so uh, before the break, we were talking a lot about kind of the history and, and the value of HBCUs and kind of the mottos uh, of, of Hampton University. Um, but Dr. Harvey, we did want to talk about kind of the societal perceptions, uh, if you may say. And so we know that, you know, the successes and achievements of many HBCUs, um, you know, they've come despite enormous challenges. But, you know, oftentimes when you read about 
or hear about HBCUs in the media, sometimes it's not always positive. It seems like we may hear the more negative sides of HBCUs and the struggles rather than hearing the incredible achievements of what's happening at these universities. And even in our past interviews, we've talked to past presidents who have said some sometimes when they try to pitch a positive story, um, you know, the, the journalists and things are just not interested. They want to hear the more negative things. And so we sure that you may have dealt with this during your 40 years leading Hampton University. And so we just wanted to ask, you know, what is the, what has been the most challenging part of trying to tell that positive story of HBCUs? And, and has your, your approach to telling that story changed throughout the years? Well, what you just said is absolutely correct. The fact is that um, um, we do get challenging kinds of uh, issues and questions from the media based on certain perceptions. Um, I'm one that believes in being straightforward with everything and everybody. And as a result, uh, if I get those kinds of things, questions, I try to uh, correct. uh, And I use uh, my experience as an example. Uh, I did, as the introduction indicated, had got a doctorate from Harvard. And I was, uh, I did very well there. And I was offered a very minor position. I was I was the assistant to the dean for governmental affairs. I was also an assistant director of the Harvard Summer School. I was director of an intensive summer studies program. And I was a tutor in Adams House. And my star clearly was on the rise there. Um, When I was there, there actually was only two uh, African-American administrators. One fellow named Archie Epps and Bill Harvey. Both of us, coincidentally, graduated from Talladega College in Alabama, uh, HBCU. And when I decided with my wife, uh, by the way, she and I have been married 54 years. That was a blessing. I got to get that in, okay? Um, That we, I wanted to come back south to use whatever energy, talent um, that I had at an HBCU. I want to tell you, every one of my mentors at Harvard tried to get me to not do that. They said that my star could rise faster um, as a administrator at Harvard. And they may very well have been correct, but I know what my North Star was and I wanted to follow my North Star. So although I was a graduate of Talladega and Virginia State with a master's, I uh, went to Fisk for two years, then Tuskegee for six years, and then I've been in Hampton. This is actually my 43rd year. Um, and I haven't regretted it. It's, it's one of the best professional decisions that I ever made um, in my life. So I know that there are those perceptions like that out there. But I'm a living example that, that um, they just aren't true. You know? And what we've got to do is to let folk know that. And we have a responsibility, those of us that are scholars, those of us that write articles, those of us that write books, those of us that give lectures, we got to let folk know that it's no one size fits all. And that's what I try to do. Now, I've already authored two books. I got one at a very major publisher right now. And um, I want folks to understand that I had an opportunity to stay at what some would say is the top university in the world. And I left there to go to an HBCU. And I have not regretted it. It doesn't mean that I have not experienced some exasperation because I have been criticized 
and I have been applauded. But I treat those two imposters just the same. You know, I do what I think is right and best, and I want to do what's best for the institution that I am um, in, in, involved with. Now, let me just say this. I talked about the blessing of my wife for 54 years. I think that uh, with my parents, that was the first blessing. And then in little old Bruton, Alabama, I'm going to tell you a story. They looked out for uh, people. Now, Bruton had about four or 5,000 people probably less than a thousand uh, African-Americans, but they looked out for people. And that's a classic example of it takes a village to raise a child. And I'm gonna give you an example of something. As a young boy, I was around about a block from my home with one in front of one of my friend's homes. His name was Samuel Starwood. He happened to be dead now. And I was cutting up and I don't remember what I was doing, but I was cutting up. And the lady across the street told me to stop. I didn't stop. You know what? She got a switch and whipped me, okay? And called my mother. And when I got home, I got another whipping because they looked out for you. Not even she's passed now, but her name was Mrs. Sang Forbes. And the fact is that they looked out for each other. When I went to um, um, high school, the local mortician was my football coach. My baseball coach was a, 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 a local worker. My Boy Scout troop leader, they looked out for, 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 for us. And I wish and I think and I hope that those of us, I don't care what size of the city in the neighborhood, we could somehow get that back. Looking out for, for young folk. Now, I understand it's a different time because if you, you got a child somewhere and somebody else whips them, you know, the people might want to call the police now. Well, as I said, my mother didn't call the police. She whipped me again because people looked out for you. And that's what we need. So that's my orientation. And that's why throughout my life, whether or not it was in the armed services or, um, or, or at a place like Harvard or Talladega, I understood that I had to try to do the very best that I, that I could. HBCUs are classic examples of, um, of, of, of turning that, that stone into a shining diamond. And there are so many of us, and I'm not the only one. And that's what I hope and pray that we can continue to do, despite some of the media that might not understand that. And some of that may very well be coming from people that look like us. But I'm here to tell you that is not the case. That is not the case. You, you hit on so much, Dr. Harvey. That That is absolutely right. Um, that's, you know, Devin and I, we talk about that narrative because I'm from Mississippi and there were HBCUs, but because, you know, we graduated top in our class, you know, we were told we needed to go to Mississippi State or Ole Miss. You know, we were told don't go to, you know, those schools or anything like that. And, and what you're saying, it just speaks volumes to counter that narrative. And it kind of just goes into the fact of what you were saying, how, you know, we as people of we really have to go towards that, that level of excellence. Um, you, like you said, HBCUs, y'all have been, you know, beacons and pillars of excellence. You know, you talked about, you know, how Hampton, you know, partnered with NASA to have the satellites. And you even talked about the proton cancer treatment facilities. 
I mean, you, you, you know, when you look at Hampton's ratings from U.S. News and World Report, I mean, y'all rank top among universities, top among HBCUs. So y'all are, like I said, leading the charge in excellence and uniquely positioned. But our question here is because is we're really trying to counter this narrative and really just almost transcend this throughout our community. So, Dr. Harvey, you know, what can we do to get this across to the African-American community as a whole to really show why it's necessary for people of color to be better than great and work towards that excellence and defy these societal uh, stereotypes and perceptions that we're talking about? Well, first of all, I think that you do things like what you all are doing, your podcast. You know, you get the word. Secondly, you talk to people about having them come to visit. Hampton, in my judgment, and I know it's a prejudicial judgment, is the prettiest campus in the world. You know, we got water on three sides of our campus. It's pretty. You know, I don't care what somebody might tell you, come and visit Hampton. I'll go and visit Talladega. I'll go to uh, New Orleans and visit Xavier. I'll go and visit, talk to the students, talk to the faculty, come and kick the tires. Don't believe everything that you might see or hear. So that's my, um, my, that's my message. And that's my answer. Come and see and then judge for yourself. Because the fact is, and you said you didn't want to say how old I was. I'm 80 years old. But the fact is that I've got the energy of a 20 or 30 year old. I've got the mental acuity of that as well. I thank God for that. But I don't, I I never have um, shied away from letting folk know how old I was because that is nothing but a, but a, but a number, you know? So the thing is to continue, continue to do what you're doing, continue to do what I'm doing, my latest book is, uh, is a book that's uh, hopefully going to resonate with those young people that want to go to, uh, go to college and those that, um, that, that are already in, in college. It's called A Guide to Success in College. And I'm talking about a number of things. So what all of us have to do, folk like you and you're doing it, folk like me and I'm doing it, and others, is to talk to people and let them come and see for themselves. Talk to the people, as I said, the students, the faculty, staff, and others, and then you decide. Now, I have no problem with majority institutions. If I had to do it over again, I'd do the same thing. I'd go to, I'd go to Talladega and Harvard. I think those are two of the best. You know, one happened to be at HBCU, one happened to be a majority institution. But the fact is, do that. You know, there's a young lady who's a federal judge now that um, she came here for a summer and um, her neighbor out of D.C. uh, told me that she was going to go to Harvard. So I told her, I said, listen, why don't you come to Hampton, do well, and then go to Harvard? She did that. She came here. She was in a sorority. She became the head of that sorority. She had a wonderful record here. I later even put her on the board here. But the fact is that you look at her life. She had a great college undergraduate career. She went on to Harvard, or if she wanted to go somewhere else, that's fine as well. That's my message, rightly or wrongly. Go to an HBCU that you think can help you become uh, uh, a young man or a young woman that's going to be uh, have those life skills to help people, to be of service to others. And then do well. Don't go there and play now. Don't go there and party all the time. 
Because sometimes we get folk to do that and they don't last too long. You got to understand how important it is uh, to work hard, how important it is on that character things I talked about, truth, uh, respect, integrity, trustworthiness, and responsible personal behavior, you know, and you'll be fine. And you'll be fine. So that's my message. That's it. And it's not difficult. It's very simple. That's good, Dr. Harvey. I, I like it because it, it tells me that what you are about and what Hampton is about is speaking against the conditioning of the African-American people. Because we've talked about the fact that, you know, throughout history, we've really been conditioned to, you know, uh, to live in a, in a survival mentality day to day. But you are really trying to get people to step out of that and live a standard of excellence. So uh, that's so positive. Thank you uh, for, for ending our segment uh, with that. And viewers, as I said, we're going to end this uh, second segment. When we come back, we want to get into a little bit of the funding and a little bit of the diversity at HBCUs. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod thank you for your donation and belief in our mission let's get back to the show all right welcome back so we are continuing our conversation with dr william harvey uh president of hampton university and it's been a great conversation so far and and for this segment uh we just want to talk a little bit about you know kind of funding and diversity uh so we know Fund, fundraising is the name of the game. And so for, for a lot of HBCUs, it has been a struggle, but for others, um, they've had some success. And, and just to kind of, you know, put it into context and encapsulate just the difference between uh, PWIs and HBCUs when you talk about funding, particularly endowments. Um, when we, we spoke with the provost and chief academic officer, uh, Dr. Wuto at Howard, um, and he explained to us that if you added up all of the endowments at all of the HBCUs in the country, it would actually come out to like a fraction of the endowment of, you know, the school you attended, Harvard University, that has like a $40 billion endowment. I think if you added up all the HBCUs in the country, it'd be about $4 billion. So just a a small fraction of what, you know, what HBCUs have. And so, you know, Dr. Dr. Harvey, despite the challenges, you know, under under your leadership, Hampton has achieved successful, uh, impressive fundraising success. And you kind of stated it before, but when you started, the endowment was about $29 million. And today you said it was over $340 million. And so uh, Hampton has also been able to consistently beat it's, you know, it's capital fundraising goals. And then I think and even in the last year, you all received your, your single largest single donation, which was $30 million. And so um, our question is just, you know, how have you been able to find consistent success in fundraising? And, and maybe what can other HBCUs learn from what you've done down at Hampton that maybe they can take with them to maybe try to, you know, improve their, their fundraising success? Well, uh, first of all, we have. And I'm very thankful for that. We're very, very blessed, very blessed to be able to have uh, raised the kind of money that we did. We did get from Ms. Um, uh, McKenzie Scott the largest single donation uh, from a private source. We've got more money from other sources. I'll give an example in a minute. Um, but we got $30 million, and that was a blessing for us. Uh, we've gotten other, even this past um, 12 months, we've been able to bring in a little bit more than $150 million. And again, 
that's because of the team and what we represent and the mm -hmm. team going out. Although with Ms. McKenzie Scott, we didn't know anything about that. I didn't, but you know, uh, what I believe in is that you've got to go and ask. And the person can't do anything other than say yes or no. And when you go, make sure that you've got a well thought out program. What I try to do, and I coined this phrase, developing a community of interest with a particular foundation or corporation or individual. Now, let me give you an example. Suppose I'm going to XYZ Foundation and they tell you before you get there that they do not fund bricks and mortar. So why are you going to go there and ask them to fund a building? So you've got to be prepared. So what I do is I have, uh, and I've had uh, sessions with other uh, presidents, mostly HBCU presidents, but not only that. And, and I say to them, make sure you're prepared. And before I go someplace, there isn't too much I don't know about that foundation or that corporation. I know who the CEO is. I know where he or she went to school. I know the management team where they went to school. There's a reason for that because there might be able, to, I might be able to develop a community of interest with one or more of them. As an example only, you know, suppose somebody went to Harvard and suppose they stayed in the, in, in the house where I was a tutor. So I go in, I don't go in asking for money. I go in talking about developing that community of interest. And okay, if they don't have that, then, you know, if I'm gonna go in and, uh, and, and talk about STEM, well, we gotta make sure that those people there are interested in funding STEM. If they aren't, don't do it. So preparation is the key. Articulation is another aspect. And the fact is that um, uh, I do believe that if you, if, you, if you don't ask, you're not gonna get. Now I will say this, You've heard me use the word blessed a lot. Uh, there are very few places that have not responded positively to an ask that, that I've been able to make on behalf of Hampton. But that's because of Hampton, our reputation, what we're doing with training uh, young men and women, and the way that it is articulated to that particular entity. So that's what we do. And uh, it has proven very, very successful. No, no doubt at all. I mean, it, nobody can deny that um, when you've got a proven track record, people see that as a, as a great you know, investment. They'll, they'll know there'll be good, good returns on that investment. Um, one of the other things that we wanted to talk about within this segment is a little bit of diversity, um, because we did you know, a lot of different uh, episodes for HB, uh, excuse me, for Black History Month to really talk about how we need to tell our narrative as the African-American race. Um, and whenever we think about it, HBCUs are masters in telling the story and really uplifting the African-American community and the African diaspora as a whole. Um, not only that, but, you know, whenever you think about institutions like Hampton, like Howard, like, you know, Spelman and et cetera, you, you have a mindset of like, you know, of prestige and different things of that nature. Conversely, we, we've seen organizations like Black Lives Matter who've maybe stepped up to try to create some more cultural diverse curriculum for K through 12 schools. 
And, and actually, that's kind of been looked and ill-received even. Some states have maybe banned that. So we've thought maybe, you know, if we had, you know, a Hampton or Harvard or you know, rather a Hampton or a, a Spelman or Morehouse or something like that, to take more of an initiative to tell our story, maybe rewrite a curriculum or something like that. How do you think that would be, you know, received within the community? Because we know it's not maybe the HBCU responsibility to, you know, go into K through 12 schools. But how do you think that would be, you know, received in the community? And what value do you think that could maybe add in preparing future adult citizens to being more culturally aware and accepting of other races? Well, let me tell you this um, and give you an example. I like to teach by example. Um, when I became president, um, I got a, a number of committees together, but I got a committee together and said that I wanted them to develop a course that every single freshman would take. I don't care if they were coming in here in physics, biology, music, nursing. I didn't care. And it's called University 101. And I said I wanted that uh, those freshmen to be able to take courses and in, 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 not the whole year, but it's, it's one year in African-American history, in African-American literature, in African-American music, but also European history, Far East history. I wanted them to be well-rounded citizens. And even today, we're doing that so that you get a smattering of African-American history. Suppose you're from an area where you, you hadn't gotten that in school. Doesn't make any difference. You gotta take it if you come to Hampton. Now, if you find that you have an interest, then you can go and get more information about, uh, you know, a particular poet or, uh, or or writer or what have you. But you've gotten that smattering, and that has proven to be very uh, successful here uh, at Hampton. So we're going to do that. And as it relates to uh, uh, equity. I want to say uh, that there's, as I said, some people may criticize, some people may applaud. I treat those two imposters just the same. I, from the time that I was a kid, my parents taught me to make sure that I gave everybody an opportunity. I don't discriminate against anybody. Men, women, young, old, black, white, gay, straight. I don't discriminate. I don't go out and look for either one of those. But when I've got a position, then uh, I want to be able to uh, get the very best talent available. And I don't care which one of those categories they might fit in, as long as they can do the job. Now, if they don't do the job, they're not going to stay here very long. But if they do the job, it's okay. And that's the way I operate. That's the way I have operated. When I became president, my administrative cabinet was all men. Now, my administrative cabinet is all women. Now, I didn't set out to do that. I'll say that publicly. I set out that when I had a vice president for academic affairs, or I had a dean of, of business, or I had a vice president for student affairs, I uh, looked for the very best person. And I've had White people fill those positions. I've had mostly African-Americans, but, and right now, they are, happen to be all women. I don't give women any more break or leeway than I do men. 
They got to perform. And the fact is, I believe truly that I got one of the best teams that I've ever seen. And I can say this to you. I have chaired about 30 or more uh, Southern Association accreditation visits at HBCUs, at major white schools. And as you know, I went to Harvard and so forth. We got a heck of a team here. They happen to be women. That's okay with me because the fact is they're good. No, I'm going to change that. They're great. It's a great team. And that's why we have uh, 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 excelled. And that's my message when I speak to people and when I when I write articles and books and things like that. And I have lectured at Harvard and Yale and Georgetown and William and Mary and Tuskegee and Howard and places like that. I don't change my message. Now, maybe some people don't like that. I really don't care because that's what I believe in. I believe in equity. I believe in talent. I believe in hard work. I believe in character. I believe in life skills. And if you've got them, you can work with me. If you don't, go somewhere else. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I like that right there. You just land it out perfectly. Uh, and just 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 speaking volumes to what we need, you know, that that, you know, being connected, being that team, being that community. I, I really hope that that is something that we can see that, you know, starts to really get to students before they get to HBCUs. Like I said, in those K through 12 schools that really starts to ingrain them to start to build that that dynamic of being a more global citizen, a more engaged citizen, because that is what we see happening at HBCUs from you know Hampton to Howard to Tuskegee. Everybody's building the next generation to think more like a visionary and think more beyond. So that is really great to see that y'all are continuing that for generations to come. So viewers, we're going to take our last break here. When we come back, we, we've got to get Dr. Harvey's final message, just a way to wrap up our episode, send it off to you in a great big old bow. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you so much. have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, viewers, welcome back. We're continuing our conversation today with Dr. William Harvey. Remember, he's the president of Hampton University. So, Dr. Harvey, just to kind of, you know, leave our episode, we always like to do a final message. I'm going to kind of set the stage up for you. You know, your vision back in 1978 when you got to Hampton Institute uh, it must have been a grand vision because you've, you've done great work to transform Hampton University into a leading institution that's recognized around the world. Like any great in African-American history, you defied the odds and your achievements speak volume in your work ethic and your dedication to building a culture of excellence. 
We know that you are set to retire in June of 2020, but we also know that the work you are doing, it it has to continue. It can't stop in June 2020. Not only must it continue at Hampton University, but it must continue throughout every African-American neighborhood in America so that we can really set that standard of excellence that Hampton embodies. So Dr. Harvey, leave us with a message that speaks to why your mission and journey is not over even when you retire and why we as people of color must continue our efforts towards equality, opportunity, and excellence so that we leave our people better off than when we got here. Well, you said June of uh, 2020. It's June of 2022. Oh, there we go. Thank you. No, no, that's great. That's great. Well, look, here's the thing. I have said throughout this interview, and I really appreciate you uh, giving me an opportunity to say it. Um, Hampton has done well because of the team. When I was being interviewed for the job some 44 years ago now, I was 36 years old, and the question came to me from a trustee, if we elect you, what will you do? I said, I will run Hampton like a business for educational objectives. And that's what we have done. And so I believe in input. I believe that people who have to live with decisions ought to have input into the decision-making process. I don't have a problem making hard decisions, but I do believe strongly in input. So that's what I do. And that's what we have done here at Hampton. Uh, And as a result, the collective competence of the various team members, including the 17 that have gone on to become presidents of other institutions. The only one that I've got left right now is the president of the University of Bahamas. Um, but um, I've had 17. This is, what, uh, this is what we do. And that's what I said to the board, that that's what we were going to do. We were going to have uh, an institution that was going to uh, be run like a business for, for educational objectives. And the thing that I said several times, I'll repeat, because the fact is that uh, it's the team that's the dream. And I believe strongly in management. I'm not going to ever change that. You know, and I mentioned earlier that we had a proton beam cancer treatment center. We're treating um, you know, right now about 65 patients a day. Prostate, breast, lung, ocular, uh, pediatrics, head, neck, and brain cancer. 65 a day. But that's a healthcare business. We got to make money in order to do the great work that we are doing. And the same thing is true of an educational enterprise. It's, 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 a, it's an educational business. And that's what we've done. So uh, the fact is, I'll leave you with this. It's the team. That's the dream. We practice good management. We want people to understand how important it is to not only um, be a physicist or a pharmacist or a nurse, but also to be a decent human being, to be someone that has character. And I've mentioned that several times. And if we talk further, I've mentioned it several more times because that's important. That's important. And that's what we do. And that would be my message, not only to your audience, but to anybody else. It's important to have a skill, but it's also important to to be a decent human being, okay? 
that you, you're doing it. You're absolutely right on that because I were, you know, one of our very first interviews we had when we started this podcast, we talked to a clinical psychologist. And one of the things he said is that with the African-American uh, community, one of our issues is just life skills and just, you know, having good character, you know, even going to bed on time and different things like that. So what you're talking about is just is what we call it, you know, in sales, just table stakes, just basic things that you've got to bring to the table. Uh, and as you bring them to the table, we're going to mold you into that standard of excellence here at Hampton. And I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's been awesome talking to you. I, I'm sure people tell you that all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're you're probably the life, even as, a, as an 80 year old, you're probably the life of the party. Everybody likes to be around you. So we were ecstatic to uh, get you know you and Hampton on our show and to be highlighting you uh, within our HBCU awareness series, because, you know, institutions like Hampton, we need you, you know, we, we need, you know, you know, as many of you as we can get to start showing, you know, the true value of the African-American, you know, uh, race and what we can bring to the table when it comes to transforming society to bring that equity and bring that opportunity that we're talking about. So I was just really thrilled and I've been you know happy throughout this whole conversation. Um, so yeah, uh, Devin, uh, what, what your last thoughts, I, I, I can get, you know, real chatty because Dr. Harvey's gotten excited today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but listening to Dr. Harvey will get anybody in, in that kind of stage, you know, hearing it, it is inspiring to hear that, you know, especially the motto of, of the team aspect. Um, anybody can relate to that. We all watch sports. We know, you know, everybody has their role to play, you know, whether it's football, basketball or whatever. Um, there's a leader, but there is also uh, a people around that that person that that helps to, you know, to push forward and, and to, you know, to do, do the things that Hampton is doing, whether it's fundraising or academically or, or anything. And so it was just great to hear that the motto and the laser focus of making sure um, that, that you, you live up to the, the, the motto that you set and the standards that you have set. So I've enjoyed the entire conversation and hearing you talk about it and giving us some insight. Uh, maybe hopefully one day we will be able to come up and see what you say is the most beautiful campus in the country. <laughs> so no, no question about it. No question about it. <laughs> well, let me say this before I get off as well. I have enjoyed this. And uh, as I said a little earlier, um, I mean everything I say because I don't want to you know, not do that. And I've enjoyed chatting with you all, your, your, your two young men. Let me just tell you, continue to press on. Continue to do what you're doing. Make sure that you continue that because we need people like you out there carrying the message, asking the questions, prodding us to give you answers that will help not only our race, but help humanity. I believe in that. I, you know, I'm, I'm a proud African-American. But the fact is, We've got too much incivility in our country from both sides. One side thinks it's the other side. The other side thinks it's the other side. It's both sides. Let us work together to make a better existence for ourselves, for our families, for our children, and for the world. That, that's it in a nutshell right there. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you have been serenaded and educated and lectured <laughs> and everything else by Dr. William Harvey, the president of Hampton University. Uh, couldn't have ended it any better. Couldn't have, you know, stated it any better. So, Dr. Harvey, I know we've said it to you, I don't know how many times, but it's been you know, an honor. It's been awesome getting a chance to talk to you. We can see why, you know, people love to be around you and why Hampton University is excelling in so many different uh, uh, spectrums. So thank you again. 
continue to wear your mask, stay healthy. Uh, hopefully you've gotten some shots and things like that, but still keep safe because we hope to come over to Virginia and visit with you soon. Well, I've gotten both of them. As a matter of fact, one of the things I did, um, I did it on TV because I want to try to convince other brothers and sisters that it was important. That's the only way we're going to get out of this pandemic. And I was talking with the Surgeon General of the United States, and uh, he's the one that suggested it. So I did it on TV. I got our PR people to get the TV stations and the newspapers together because I wanted to let other folk know, you know, and I, and, and I'm, I don't want to prolong this, but a lot of folk, including our students, were talking about the Tuskegee study. I said, listen, that's 1932. You know, it lasted for a long time. But the fact is that we need to get it. And and I, I did it. I'm glad I had my second shot about two months ago. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased. And I hope you all have. If you haven't, let me know. The other thing, and I haven't mentioned it so much, and maybe at some point I can come back. Uh, we spent money and bought a mobile van. We're, we're testing. And what I said is that I wanted to test not only the faculty, staff, and students, but also I wanted to go into the um, African-American areas, to the Hispanic areas, to the rural areas, to the underserved areas. And provide it because a lot of folk, for whatever the reason, uh, don't trust the power structure. But Hampton has the credibility. So we got a mobile van and we're going to go out. We're going to test number one. And and uh, we've got thus far only 400 vaccines. I'm trying to get to governor. I got to call into him right now, try to see if I can't get more because I want to, to, to do that. But that's what we are all about. And you all are doing that. Continue to do it. And you take care. And uh, if you haven't gotten your shots, make sure you get it. If you don't get it, let me know. Come on up here. I'll give you one hour. Okay? All right. That sounds good. Thank you so much, Dr. That's a send-off <laughs> right there. All right. Dr. Harvey, we appreciate it. And, and we're not going to take up any more of your time again. This was uh, Dr. William Harvey from Hampton University. Uh, he's the current president and has been for a very long time. He's doing some amazing things. So make sure you check him out. Visit the campus uh, if you can. So we're going to take our, our last break. And when we come back, we'll wrap the show up. Stick with us. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So as always, we like to end the show giving you a look forward for what's coming up for the podcast. So the first thing is uh, this series that you just witnessed and watched with Dr. William Harvey um, from Hampton University is part of a larger series uh, that we're calling an HBCU Awareness Series. And we're doing this for the month of March, which is also HBCU Awareness Month. And so each week we'll have a conversation coming out with the leader at an HBCU. And that's every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, you can watch it at 7.30 p.m. every Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, so you can tune in. And so um, everything that you've seen is, is things that we're trying to get from these, these leaders and answer questions about what I, what is the state of our HBCUs right now. Um, and if you haven't already, please go back and listen and, or watch our conversations with uh, FAMU. We've had Howard University, uh, Grambling University, Tuskegee, Fisk, and Claflin University. So a pretty impressive lineup that we're trying to, to bolster and get the message out as, as far as what they're doing at their respective schools. 
And as you can see, we, we it's, it's a lineup here and it's going to become more coming um, after today. And so uh, we're not just doing, though, we're not just doing this HBC Awareness Series. We also do have um, a, a weekly show that we do every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Um, you can watch us on Facebook and YouTube, and that's our weekly roundup. And that's where we bring you all of the breaking news or, or small news that you may not have heard about. Uh, we bring it all to you in an hour-long show, Saturday night, 7.30 um, and so that's every single week you can catch me and Adrian right here um, at, at the Black Agenda podcast. And so that's a way to kind of tell you the news through our lens and make sure we tell the stories the correct way um, without all the bias and everything. And so, um, again, so we're trying to, to get the message out there. And one of the ways we can try to do that is by, you know, trying to get some support from our listeners and our watchers. Um, even if you're new to us, you know, we've tried. We're part, trying to partner and recognize charities. Um, and so we need, you know, we need some support from our listeners. And so Adrian's going to let you know um, where you can give us a few dollars. Yeah, viewers, I mean, viewers or listeners, however you're uh, tuning in with us, your donations matter. Um, you know, we've kind of talked with our HBCU uh, leaders about how alumni support shows that appreciation. Same kind of concept that shows your appreciation. And it really helps propel what we're trying to do, you know, beyond what we're you know doing with you know podcasting and news. We'd love to be able to you know, have an organization, uh, maybe have our own little uh, radio station or something like that. You never know. But with your help and your support, we can do those sorts of things. Um, all you got to do is go to our website, which is blackagendapod.com. Click on the donate button and start off by giving a dollar. A dollar a month is a simple uh, contribution, very small. And it's something that can really snowball and build and lead toward great things for us like being able to partner with other organizations, which we're trying to do by having our charity of the month, which March is actually going to be the third good Marshall College Fund. By you giving donations to us, we can maybe donate to them. You can even donate to them as well because their mission is great too. They're working to make sure that people that look like you and I, people who aren't looking like you and I can continue to go to these great institutions that we're having on our show, these HBCUs. Um, their mission is to ensure student success by promoting educational excellence and for, uh, and preparing the next generation of workforce talent through leadership development. So great things there. We're promoting some great things. We'd love to have your money so that we can keep doing this um, because, as Devin said, it's not free. And we'd love to see your support in our bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Straight to the point there. We would, we would absolutely appreciate your support. Um, and, and so lastly, before we go, we always like to tell you where you can find us on social media. So uh, remember, we're on all the major platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us at our handle, which is at Black Agenda Pod. Um, and that's at Black Agenda Pod. So make sure you go there and check us out. Follow us, uh, share, you know, whatever videos and content that you see. Uh, with your fans, family, coworkers, whomever, maybe near you, around you. Um, share it with as many people as you can. We're just trying to get this in front of um, as many viewers and listeners uh, as possible. And so, uh, again, a, a huge thank you to, to Dr. Har- uh, William Harvey and Hampton University for making him available to us. Um, and again, make sure you go to our YouTube channel. Uh, just type in the Black Agenda. Uh, you can subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on interviews like what we saw here Uh, with Dr. Harvey. So again, we appreciate you watching and listening and we'll catch you next time.